Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Hello, friends. This is your old pal, Robert Duvall. This is my first time on this podcast. I was invited by the boys. I think they tried to get somebody from Gregory's Girl. Because now I'm nothing more than a fan of Gregory's Girl. That's a great movie. Have you seen that? Uh, well, yeah, uh, yeah, we talked about it last week. That's wonderful. It's a, it's a fantastic movie. It's about Scottish people. Scottish people like a lot like Southern people. Holy shit, Jason! Jason, yeah, do you realize something? What's that? That's Boo Radley right there. I don't. I don't think that's, that's right. That's Boo Radley. I, I don't think. I don't think that's correct. I'm gonna have to check IMDb. Nah, nah, fellas. Look, you can check my filmography. I'm most known for 2001's uh, uh, famous film Gods and Generals, where I played uh, General Robert E. Lee of the Confederacy. Movie that don't look quite so good in 2020, but we had a lot of fun. <laughs> Getting a lot of them middle-aged guys together and they put on them uniforms and they make up some stew and they smoke a pipe and some of them even does, uh, what am I saying? Oh, he was Boo Rabbit. I, I, I was mistaken uh, about who I was. Uh, it's been, I, I've had a very long career. I've talked and said many things. Mm-hmm during many films mm-hmm. and I don't remember them all I specifically remember Gods and Generals and I believe I was also in a film called The Godfather <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah yeah. I think you were Robert I, be- uh, I believe I was, I believe uh, that's, I was. you're kind of a big part of that movie <laughs> uh, I have not seen that movie in many years and when I did it was that weird recut that was in chronological order so I wasn't in it till a lot later yeah they replaced the guns with walkie talkies yeah it was a very it was a, it was a daring choice I mm. thought but my, my point is is that they couldn't get no one from that movie so they called old Bobby D Sonny shot first yeah, uh, yeah he did he did dude. he had it coming yeah that's what we all thought mm. but I just wanted to stop by and say hello and uh, be be someone who's kind of breaking the mold yet again by being someone who is both alive and not British. Because sometimes it's fun to do that sort of thing. If I was in your shoes, that's what I might do is impersonate a person like myself. Because a person like myself has a very fun voice to impersonate. I don't even actually know if this is exactly how I sound, but this is my voice on the podcast. You are getting more Southern as we go on. Well, as I get excited, I... You gotta understand it. Well, it's, it's the difference between when you're down low and when you get way up high. And then you do a rebel yell, or something like that. I don't know. I, I wasn't in the Confederacy for real. I just played a general in the movie once. 
Mm-hmm. Mm. Anyways, Gregory's Girl is a wonderful film. Check it out. I, I don't know that it is actually available on DVD because I watched it, uh, uh, friends. Uh, apparently, my friend taped it off a ton of classic movies on a videotape and then put it on the computer. So that's how I watched it. But look, I, I, I don't complain when I get a free movie. So anyways, enjoy the film, boys. I'm going to go back uh, home because I'm not dead. I don't have to go back to heaven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, honestly, I'm not really partial to Alec Guinness, but don't tell him. Oh, uh, I, I won't. I but heard that. Oh, shit, I gotta go. Oh, jetpack. I've not seen him in a long time. What a. It's like a zoo in here. I know. It's, it's turning into a morning radio zoo of characters. Also, Robert Duvall thinks we're talking about Gregory's Girl this week. Yeah. I just gotta, gotta break it to you, Robert. You, you missed it by a week. Well, he's very old. He's very old. His mind is gone. He can't... You can't expect him to to know these things. And when you have a guy like Robert Duvall, if he comes in and he says a few words, you know what? You just let him do it. But you know what? I just think it's weird because, as Robert Downey Jr. would have said, he's a pretty good judge of character. Huh. You're the only person, I think, that remembers that movie. <laughs> and I'm the second only person because it was only at this moment that you reminded me that it existed. <laughs> On the BFI Top 100, it's coming up. The Judge. Do you know what? Also, Jason, uh, Robert Duvall reminded me that I am only uh, one Kevin Bacon link away from him. That's true. Because yeah. we both worked with the same director, technically. Ron oh, Maxwell. That's true. Who directed Gods and Generals. And Copper, Copperhead. Copperhead. Which uh, I was in. Was Jason Patrick ever in a movie with... Uh... You, you, technically, you, you did a couple of I, on I'm, set? I'm one branch away from Sandra Bullock. That's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And, and who, whoever the guy was he co-starred with in uh, NARC? Uh, Ray Liotta. Yeah, there you go. Ray Liotta. I forgot that. I don't <laughs> Two links away from Robert De Niro, Jason. Nice. And, <laughs> and Martin Scorsese. But let's, anyway. Let's... We need to get you back together with Rob Maxwell for another uh, uh, Lost Cause uh, uh, Civil War film. Well, I was the star of that film. It's just that they cut most of my scenes. I know. Um, we, we can still see you. Yeah, we can, you just sure can. In the trailer, Jason. I made the trailer. Wow. I made the trailer. You made you personally and then I was it together. A, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me that extra over here to cut this, this here trailer. Song. Why does everyone sound like Robert Duvall? Well, because Ron Maxwell would put that on because he would think that sounded cool. I, Robert Duvall did it because he was trying to sound like Robert E. Lee. I can assure you that he sounded like the whitest uh, American non-accented voice I've ever heard. Yeah. You know who was a good Robert E. Lee? Mm. Fucking Martin Sheen. Jason, this is a podcast. It is a podcast. <laughs> it's about British film. It is about British film. Not Copperhead. Not right. Gods and Generals. Um, not Gettysburg, which is the best one. So this is a podcast. We talk about British films, Jason. We it's do. called For Screen. And Gundre. We said our names a bunch of times, but I'm Brendan. And I'm still Jason. You are still Jason. And I'm still Brendan. We remain Jason and Brendan, respectively. Yeah, God save the Queen. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> we talk about the top 100 British films of all time. As composed in the year of our Lord, 1999, BFI Top 100 British Films of All Time list. That Lord, of course, being Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, Andrew Lord Webber. Yes, Andrew <laughs> Lord Webber. That's his boxing name from his, from his you know, pugilist days. Right. He, he didn't do very well. That's why he no. switched over to musicals. You know, musicals were much more his speed. Uh, uh, yeah, but... Uh. He tried to get Muhammad Ali to do some choreography, and he just punched him in the face. He did try boxing on um, roller skates once, and oh. it didn't work out, but that led him to make Starlight Express, so... 
It was a win all 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 told. And Xanadu. And Xanadu. Wow, we haven't we're we're all over the place this week. It's gonna be a crazy one, Brendan. Um we are like three quarters of a beer deep, so Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Where was I? What was I talking about? You weren't talking about anything. Well, actually, we were talking about how we're a British podcast about British films. Yes, we're a British well, podcast. I guess we're not technically a British podcast since we've neither just, of us have ever been to Britain. Well, we've just been in Canada so long that we've lost our British accents. And by so long, I mean since birth. And yeah, so every week we talk, pretty much every week, we talk about a randomly selected movie on the BFI Top 100. We're over halfway through them. We're just Um, chugging along. We are chugging along. We're almost at the first 60. Uh, And this week we're talking about a film. But before we talk about that particular film, we need to read some comments, some questions, some concerns about last week's film, Gregory's Girl. This is what Robert Duvall was so excited about, was the Gregory's Girl comments. That's why he was so excited. Because we'll get to this week's movie, jean Yeah. Yeah. Well, we talk about Gregory's Girl. But we got to talk about Gregory's Girl. Some comments, Jason. Some comments we have to read regarding this film from 1980. Go ahead. Start us off. Start us off. Uh, One Ian McKay. Ian McKay says, Such an amazing movie. Did anyone watch it and not end up with a crush on Clara Grogan? And Clara Grogan was the last girl. Girl he ended up with. Yeah, no, she was cute. Yeah. That beret. Mm. Katrina. Are yeah, you listening? You should wear a beret, baby. I guess that's what I'm saying. Look like you're from the '90s. I just picture you getting up in the morning and you're like, "All right, we, uh, I'm ready to go. Let's 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 get out of the house." And you're like, "Babe, beret, beret, striped beret. shirt, beret, cigarette, beret. baguette." I want you to be a French stereotype for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's my thing now. Will you paint me like one of your French stereotypes? <laughs> it's like any other guy would have you dress up as a French maid. Me? No, <laughs> I want you to dress up like a French dude. Wouldn't that be great in Titanic if they said that line and then they cut to like Kate Winslet and she was wearing like a beret and a baguette. <laughs> and, and, and a drawn-on mustache. <laughs> <laughs> totally naked. Like her striped shirt was just like Is a this bump. how you want me to look, Leo? Jack, I mean. Your name is Jack, not Leo. <laughs> I'm sorry, a director, you want to say cut? Okay, your French accent sounds more Quebecois. Well, that's that's all I know. Oh. I'm from there. You got to do Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> yes, agreed. Claire Grogan, attractive young Absolutely. lady, and uh, I can see if I was watching if I watched this at the right age, I would uh, feel some things. Uh, okay, Andrew Littlefield, still not going to do the joke. Okay, says very enjoyable. Although I had trouble understanding the accents, and I never got what the penguin was all about. Yeah, we talked about the penguin, didn't we? Yeah, we said should listen to our episode. <laughs> Take that! Wow, you're a bitch today. Which I, that's a mean thing to say because Andrew's written in lots of times. So either <laughs> either he just is a fan of our Twitter account, or he did listen. So you're a little bit of a bitch today, Jason. Ow, you're a I'm sassy. sassy. I gotta sassy. I gotta bring the energy. You see, I'm my my entire week is very low energy because I work retail. So yeah. I have to I have to maintain a low amount of energy so I don't go fucking insane and murder people. But when I come here to the podcast, I get to let it out a little bit. And you always have delicious Budweiser. <laughs> King of beers, no. brewed by our original process don't need from it. the choices, tops, rice, and best barley they, they malt brewed in Canada. They don't need it, Jason. Shut up. But yes, Andrew, uh, that was a very enjoyable movie. I agree. The accents are a little tough. The Scottish accents, even in like, um, um, you know, that movie we like in Scotland where the, where the town conspires. Local hero. Local hero. Yeah, even in local heroes sometimes it's a little thick. Yeah. Now... See, you and I, Brandon, being of the generation we are, we grew up on uh, um, Austin Powers, so our exposure to Scottish accents is almost exclusively fat bastard. <laughs> Which you could argue is the most accurate depiction. It's pretty close. I mean, I, I trust Mike Myers to do an accurate accent because yeah. he grew up around that shit, so he knows. Right. 
Yeah, and and of course his father in So I Married an Axe Murder, which I remember nothing else about that movie ex- except him. <laughs> Jackie Dom says, I had to watch this film in eighth grade after reading the script in our super old textbooks. What kind of fucking textbook had this movie's script in it? Gregory's Girl. We did a screenwriting course in grade eight? <laughs> Gregory's Girl and the Scottish films of yore. Wow, Jackie, that's crazy. Bill Forsyth and Psychology. I mean, props on your teacher for giving you something different, I guess. I mean, my, my we, we write standard shit in school. We had to read Wuthering Heights. I read about 80 pages. Uh, we had to read, like, 1984, like, stuff like that. Not the script to Gregory's Girl. <laughs> Anyways, she continues, uh, I remember everyone being really amused by it. It was an interesting cultural experience. There yeah, well, I mean, it is. It's, uh, and I think as a teenager, you, would, you might relate to that uh, uh, world, especially if you're a teenage boy. Yeah. You know, peeping on lady. I was thinking about this movie in comparison to Gregory's Girl to like American Pie uh, and how in American Pie they, they ruin a girl's life. But in in um, in this movie, they just they just peep peep on a girl, and she's none the wiser. And I'm not saying that that morally is any better. No, but but the movie also does say these guys are dumb or yeah. dummies. Yeah, these whereas guys are dumb Ameri- fucking teenage boys. We well, all took whatever chance we could get to see tits. Whereas I feel like in American Pie, it's like they treat the scene as like, oh yeah, yeah these tits. guys are hilarious and smart for coming up with this thing, and then they don't. The, the ramifications are so like blown off. Yeah, <laughs> still a fun movie though. Um, remember when he fucked the pie? <sighs> Most overrated scene in that movie. <laughs> it's a great scene. Wickham Clayton says, I haven't watched it in years. Not American Pie, uh, Gregory's, Gregory's Girl. Girl. But I remember it being very charming and not the onslaught of grimness you get from movies set in the North. Well, that's a wide net to cast, sir. But yes, you're right. The Northern movies tend to be very grim. Again, I said I read 80 pages of Wuthering Heights. Part of the reason I couldn't keep reading it is because I could almost smell the fucking mold. <laughs> I mean, there's no sad coal miners in this movie. That's true. Yeah, that's we did. True. We've done like three sad coal mining. Yeah. coal miner. Well, movies. that's a that's a common theme. I mean, they got a lot of coal mines and a lot of sadness. Mm-hmm. Well, the, I guess what they need is Donald Trump. I want that. Yeah, if they bring in Donald Trump and Donald Trump starts redistributing the sadness from the coal miners to maybe you know the elitist, um, I don't know, street artists and uh, buskers and. Um, <sighs> Hot dog vendors? Maybe. Yeah. No. He, well, no. Don. Yeah, but Don would eat a hot dog, would he? Okay, but listen. Let me just say. Let me just say this. Yeah, okay. Scotland, if you're listening. Yeah. The whole, the country. The entire country. This um, is for you. We are a neutral party. Yes. We will facilitate the trade for you. We will give you Donald Trump from America, mm. and you can give them. You know what? I'm sure they won't even take anything in the trade. Is Billy Connolly still alive? We'll take Billy Connolly. Yeah, we'll take Billy Connolly for yeah. our fee, our finder's fee. Yes. Uh, America. And then you can send America. Well. I mean, you could send them Nicola Sturgeon, who's the current um, like head of the Scottish government, but okay. she's like a Scottish separatist, so I don't know who, who would America separate from. You know what? That'd be fun. I want to see that. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. You guys are your own country already. Who are we going to separate from? <laughs> that's what I assume she sounds like. My apologies, Nicola. I, think I hope that's her name. I hope she, I'm not totally fucking it up. She listens to this show, too. Well, she would. I mean, we talked about Gregory's Girl, which is like a national treasure. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I don't know why, but I thought you were going to say it was their national anthem. <laughs> yeah. The script is just Gregory's national... Girl, Gregory's Girl. Oh my God, we love Gregory's Girl. Oh, no, I, I was thinking the whole anthem was just the script. So when they stand up for the anthem, it's, it takes a while. Now, Scottish people, if you're out there, tell me, is Scotland forever the anthem of Scotland, or do I just like to hear it? Write to him now at know. Jason D. McLeod. P.O. Box. <laughs> no, don't give that out, Jason. <laughs> Or at BFI underscore pod. Or Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. 
But I remember we were talking about a movie called Gregory's Girl. Last comment. One more comment. This is from Matthew P. Eels, Mm -hmm. or else. Matthew says, I've not seen it in well over 30 years. Nobody has. Uh, But I remember it well. Thank you. I wish it would pop up on one of the streaming services I have. It's not out there. No. It's weird. We had to resort to um, more... Backdoor Arabian... Yeah, yeah. Back to Arabian channels. Yeah, I know. I know a guy in Dubai. He runs a, t- a stall at the market. No, no, no. We got it through perfectly legal means. But yeah, no, it's not on a lot of stream. It's not on any streaming services in, in Canada, as far as I know. Yeah, but it's, um, a, it's a good. It's a good deal. You got a hold of that thirty-five millimeter print that we were able to watch. You can rent it, I think, but I don't think you can actually stream it for free anywhere. Hmm. Yeah. What a what a shame. What a shame. Why doesn't the BFI? Hey, BFI, if you're listening, and you should be because you're probably working on your lawsuit against us. <laughs> Why don't you guys start like a streaming service of like the top 100 BFI films and then ones that you would then add to the canon of great British film and hire a nice diverse board of people and and take a run at this and add in a bunch of movies. I want to want to see it. I mean, they do have a TV streaming app on Prime. They do have a channel on That's there. That's not what I fucking said, Brendan. I said BFI, I want you with government money, ideally. I don't know if it's a government thing. Listen, you not. ordered a full pizza. I just gave you a slice. Okay? Yeah, but I want a full pizza. Well, that's too bad. You don't get the full pizza. <laughs> we have to share it. Well, then you can keep your fucking slice. <laughs> wow, you are... Choosing beggar. Such a little bitch. See us on r slash choosing beggars this Monday. <laughs> I don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> it's a it's a place that I sink far too much of my attention into, so uh, let's just move on. Jason, let's move on. We're stretching this out as long as we possibly yeah, it's can. it's fun. Uh, we're going to talk about... Um, we're going to make the comparison here. All right. This is our last thing we do. We compare Woo! this movie, which is number three. 30 yeah. on the BFI Top 100. to Pretty high, to, pretty high. To, to number 30 on the AFI Top 100. You weren't kidding about the energy. Um, and see which one wins out. Mm. Who wins the boxing match? Aye. Who wins the Uva Bowl versus Critic boxing match? Ooh. So we've got Gregory's Girl. I hope girl, it's not Rich Kianka because he'll get knocked the fuck out, I'm sad to say. Versus number 30 on the AFI <coughs> Top 100 is Apocalypse Now. Ooh, yeah. Hmm. If we're talking theatrical cut Apocalypse Now, goes to Apocalypse Now. I think we have to be. Yeah. I think on the list, that is what's on. Talking there. Redux, let's watch Gregory's Girl. <laughs> you don't like the French plantation scene? Uh, I like it as a short film on the side. It's not a good scene. It's not something I want in the movie. It no. drags it down. It's... The original cut, I mean, there are scenes in that read. Uh, fuck it. Gregory's Girl, great. You're wonderful. Well, let's talk about Apocalypse Now. <laughs> Apocalypse Now, there are some really good stuff. There is some really good stuff in the Redux that I like a lot. And I think they did a, a I think there was a third cut. Was there not done after the Redux that kind of got rid of, a, I think it shortened that French plantation scene the somewhat. Yeah, deducts of sorts. But there is good shit. Like, I love that scene where the Playboy bunnies are, are trading yeah. ga- sex for gas or trying to trade sex for gas. Sex and, for farts? Yeah. Or the... or the uh, sur- Is it in the theatrical cut where he's searching for the surfboard and he's, like, fucking got, uh, going with the helicopter uh, being like, just give me my surfboard back. I, I think I've only seen the theatrical cut once. Oh. So I... because But you've watched Redux a thousand times. Yeah, because that's the only one you can get now. Really? Yeah, it's really hard to find the theatrical... Up. You would have to... You have to find basically like a like a bare-bones DVD. Because yeah. now every version of it is the Redux. Because that's the superior version. But yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go... I'm going to have to say I love Gregory's Girl. Yeah, it's a um, movie. But if this is the original cut of Apocalypse Now, I mean, that's kind of a masterpiece. Yeah, like, no, You can't, can't really go above that, so... Yeah, you love it. Sorry, uh, sorry, Brits. I also lose this round just yeah, like everything else in your life. I can't speak for Gregory's Girl if it has any like uh, uh, extremely expensive deleted scenes, but the fact that Francis Ford Coppola went and filmed them blowing up the compound yeah. uh, and put it on the DVD because they didn't literally didn't have any use for it, but figured why the fuck not? 
we got to get mean, rid of it. So <laughs> I mean, I think in Gregory's Girl there is a French plantation scene that was cut. Oh, was Larry Fishburne in that one too? Yes, and it's also much more disturbing. Oh, yeah. So anyway, Jason, let's wrap that up. We got to talk about this week's movie. We got to talk about Genevieve. get started brendan i need to ask you we need to say do you want to say what we're talking about first we'll get there no, okay this is vaguely relevant this will explain to people what we're talking about. okay okay so and i'm gonna tell them what we're talking about because mm. i am seizing the reins this is a coup wow so i'm in charge i'm the captain now so the, the film we are talking about this week brendan is called why are you putting me in chains jason this is a little over <laughs> just, the top just just hold still okay uh the, the film we're watching this week is called Genevieve 1953. Before, you, before, I guess when you heard this name, how much did you know about this movie? And and if you knew nothing, what did you think, just based on that name, what this movie was? I knew there was a car in the poster. Okay. So I figured it was some sort of road movie. I didn't even know that. When okay. I just saw the name Genevieve, I thought, like, this has got to be, like, uh, some sort of French-inspired sex comedy romp. Because you told me it was a road trip movie, so I thought, oh, it's going to be some girl working her way across England. She's like a French girl doing her thing. It's going to be real hot. So it's like I, a, I saw it was 1953, and then I was like, well, okay, maybe it's not that, but it could be like an allegory to that. And then there's a fucking car called Genevieve. So you thought this was like an Alfie like gender swap? Yeah, yeah, or, or something like that. Like, like, yeah, exactly. Some weird, like... What's it all about? Jenny? <laughs> So instead, what I find is this weirdly um, sexual. No, not sexual. Just this uh, prescient, I guess. Like I feel like this is an early example of this type of movie, this type of road trip movie, a very small scale, oh, yeah. grounded version of like. And, and I'm sure we'll talk about stuff like it's a Mad 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 World, or mm-hmm. even something like the Cannonball Run. Uh, a little bit. You said it like old people talk about Facebook. We're going to talk about the Cannonball Run. and Cannonball Run is a great movie. And your only God forgives us. And the sequel, not so much. And your drives. This is, this is inspired Drive, right? Mm. Movie with Ryan Gosling? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. No, uh, the uh, McKim is the Albert uh, Brooks role. <laughs> Wait. Sure. Yeah, of okay. course. So with that out of the way, okay, so this is a movie about a fucking car. You seem upset about it. No, that. I'm not upset about it. It's just it just it threw me for a loop because it was totally again, like I say, I was expecting some weird sexy comedy, literally based on the name alone. That was it. I saw a girl's name, and maybe that says a lot about me, Brendan, mm. but I immediately thought, ooh, sexy comedy. It, it does say a lot about you, Jason, and quite frankly, um I'm a little bit ashamed of your you should uh, of your behavior today. But that's neither here nor there. We're here to talk about Genevieve. Nineteen fifty three. Number eighty six yes. on the list. Uh, and if it's bad, if it's no spoilers, but if it ends up being bad, Jason, we could say that we 86'd it off the list. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Oh my God, you're so smart. I just thought of that now. Wow. 
But we're talking about Genevieve. Um, this film stars a bunch of people we really haven't really talked about before. No. But is uh, John Gregson plays Alan McKim. Uh, Dinah Sheridan is his wife, Wendy. Very put-upon wife, Wendy. Uh, Kenneth Moore is Ambrose Claverhouse. Yeah, what, one a, the, what a name. One of the best names <laughs> in cinema. Uh, Kay Kendall, who I think might be my favorite part, is Rosalind. Mm-hmm. Rosalind. Uh, Reginald Beckwith is playing J.C. Callahan. And Joyce Grenfell, as in a pretty terrific cameo, is the hotel proprietress. Oh, yes. <laughs> she was great. Yeah. Um, so, and it's directed by Henry Cornelius, who I first was like, oh, that's a cool name. Uh, don't think we talked about him before. <coughs> but we have. Because oh. he also directed a little film we've talked about on this list called Passport to Pimlico. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Yeah, man. So Henry Cornelius, um, and there's your cast. And Jason, I noticed that you have a laser disc of the film on your lap there. Yeah, I've um, got. Uh, this is the Criterion issue of it. It is a four uh, is a four disc, eight sided CEV with uh, uh, DTS audio, AC three, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> just keep reading those specs. <laughs> uh, it's got a commentary track by all the people. Um, okay, so it's a very quiet commentary track. <laughs> it's very quiet. <laughs> um, can you, uh, I mean, it looks like there's more profanity than I'm used to, but can you read the uh, the back of the Laserdisc case and what uh, this the movie is about? Disc, so it's like, in 1953, Genevieve is a goddamn car. <laughs> Alan loves his car. It's a 1904. I forget what the make and model is of it, but uh, you don't it's need to know that for the back of the box. Duroc or something? Yeah. A Duroc, a Darude, I don't know. Sandstorm. And the thing that gives his life meaning, it seems, based on my reading of the movie, the thing, the only thing that gives his life meaning is the yearly rally where he gets to drive his 1904 classic automobile from uh, London to Brighton at the seaside. Mm -hmm. Uh, And not racing. Not racing. Just just a a run to Brighton. Everybody everybody drives their old-ass cars... uh, to Brighton, trying to what I see, and here's here's the first thing about this movie is that all these guys remind me of the guys you see today, the dudes that are like in their like sixties, but they've got like a ponytail and a beard, and they have like a Pontiac Barracuda that they just they bought and they fixed up. Now they drive around in this Barracuda because it was the car they had when they were seventeen, mm-hmm. uh, and they're just trying to relive their glory days a bit. Like that's what these guys strike me like because this takes place in 1953. This is a 1904 car. I mean, maybe Alan's a little young to have, like, grown up with this car, but, like, clearly this is, like, a retro thing for everybody in this movie. And that's a fun, and that's actually a fun thing about an old movie, is when an old movie is being retro, it can be hard to separate what is uh, contemporary to the movie, like, in terms of dress and, and what how people act, to the people that are trying to act retro in the movie. Well, because we see like Ambrose at various times and and Alan too wearing these kind of more old looking ridiculous costumes and it's like are they just dressed as you would dress in the 50s or are they dressed like you would dress in 1904 to drive a car? I think that's obviously the case with most of them but I was going to say my first experience with that was when I first saw Grease because mm. when I saw it at a young age, you know, I knew it was in the 70s. Yes. I didn't know anything about the fact that it was taking place in the 50s. Yes. So I just thought, "Oh, is that the style in the 70s?" Mm. Like I did no idea. So, I mean, yeah, it's kind of, it is interesting to see an older era do a take on an older era. Yeah, you know, you watch Back to the Future, you know, set in yeah. the 80s and they go back to the 50s. Yeah. And then and then their of course their take on 2015 is fun. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're not far off with Biff. Yeah, pretty much. 
<laughs> so yeah, so he's in love with this car, and and I mean, this is very, very basic plot. But what what do we got here? So yeah, they he basically has to convince his wife to go with him. His wife doesn't really want to go with him, but she always goes with him because she's a dutiful wife. But then mm-hmm. he kind of presses her on it after Ambrose inserts himself into the situation, drinks his liquor, because Ambrose is an old buddy of the couple, right? They go way back. He, in fact, he introduced them uh, at some point, and uh, but he gets into it, and he's like, "Hey, you know, if you don't want to go, I mean, you shouldn't have to go. Like, why?" And then they kind of fight about it, and he's like, "Well, you don't have to go if you don't want to." And then she's like, "Well, of course I'm going to go," and so she goes along with him because she just wants to be the suffering wife, I guess, and uh, play that role. I mean, essentially, they go. Yeah. And then on the way back, they decide to race. Yes. That's yeah, really. That's pretty much the plot that breaks down. They, it, it's it's a drive there. They kind of get at each other's throats, Ambrose and Alan. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, uh, Alan has his wife with him, and Ambrose has Rosalind, who is his uh, yearly piece of uh, crumpet. That he yeah. Oh, and him. put a pin in that, because I want to talk about the, the innuendo in the this movie? way they ha- they kind of code that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole yeah. thing, Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so they, they kind of pick at each other. They're, they're, they're buddies, but like then they start to get it. And then Rosalind, at one point, kind of poisons, <laughs> poisons Alan's mind a little bit when he's like, oh, you, it's pretty cool that you let your wife dance with that guy on the floor. Are you sure he's not going to try to fuck her? And he's like, no, no, he wouldn't do that. He's our buddy. He introduced us. And he's like, yeah, but she knew him before you, so maybe he fucked her. So, oh, I should play trumpet. Basically how that plays out. <laughs> That's a, wow, you just read the script. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he kind of poisons uh, poisons that a bit, and that causes some conflict where he's like, tell me, tell me, did you fuck her? Tell me, or fuck him. Did you fuck him? Did you fuck him? That's the scene for word for word. She's yeah, screaming exactly. in her face. It's a Martin Scorsese film. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so, Hit me! So Hit then, me harder! So then that leads to them, to uh, Alan and, and Ambrose having a confrontation, uh, well, confrontation, a little bit of words in the garage, and it eventually leads to them uh, having a bet with each other. Like old like old school film, like, oh yeah, we're going to do something, we're going to make it a bet, and they've yeah. got 100 pounds, which we're, I believe in 1953 is quite a sum of money. We're going to lose our virginity by college. Exactly. And, well, you know what, I wish though, would American Pie have been much different if they'd have wagered money on that fact, as well as just like... Because what, what, was there something the loser had to do if they didn't lose their virginity? I, I mean, don't remember. It, I mean, it already... Or, or it, was it just a pact rather than a bet? It, it's a pact. Yeah. But it, it already pact. ages kind of poorly. Oh, no. It, there's no question. I can only imagine how poorly it ages with money on the line. <laughs> I mean, to be <laughs> fair... We make this movie. I will say that to, to the in fairness of the American Pie film, of which, of course, we were talking about in an episode Clearly, about yes, Genevieve. Absolutely. Um, at least in that movie... They are all kind of shown that the the pact was kind of dumb. Yes. So I mean, there's it that. Forgi- it forgives everything. That it girl forgives- got sent home to her country and her, her life is ruined. No, that it's was terrible. Cool. <laughs> let's, let's not even get into that. that but Danny put his dick in a pie. Hilarity ensues. I wouldn't waste the apple pie. I wouldn't. Well, why would you put your dick in an apple pie? Apple pies are delicious. Also, you I will put s- your dick in a fucking pineapple pie because that's awful. But then that would probably burn. Too. I will say one of the biggest one of the biggest letdowns for a joke that had been hyped up for a long time for me was seeing American Pie and this and yeah. the pie scene because everybody said, "Oh my god, the pie scene!" And it's and it's mostly in the trailer. You're gonna lose your mind when you see the pie scene. And it's funny for Eugene Levy's reaction, yes. but like. I mean, it's it's an okay joke. It would have been way could, funnier if nobody had acknowledged it in the trailers and hyped it up. It would have been a really funny, shocking scene. I can think of at least like twenty jokes in the third one that were funnier than that. Like, yeah. but I can also think of a lot of jokes in this world that I think are very funny for movies that if they had been in the trailer, I probably and and then just hammered home that I probably wouldn't have liked nearly as much. Take take that castaway. Take that castaway. So yeah, they uh, so our boys Alan and Ambrose they make this bet a hundred pounds and then they're going to race back and of course it's a 
series of unfortunate events as they race back. Their cars break down and fall apart, and they gotta fix them, and, and they try to fuck each other over, and they're getting real dirty near the end where they call the police on each other, and uh, uh, Ambrose sabotages Alan's car at one point and takes one of the parts fucking Scotty style. He makes a false police report. That's right. He makes them. a false police report. And we meet the most tolerant fucking police officers in the world, Brendan. And this movie embodies white privilege for, for white men in Britain. <laughs> hey, if these police <laughs> were like this to everyone, though, and everyone yes. was like these police, we'd have good policing. Well, I don't know. I, I feel like they may have given them maybe one or two many chances in this movie. <laughs> these police officers, Jason, I need them in real life. Like they, they clock him doing 50 at one point, and they're like, oh, you can't be going that fast. And the, and the wife's like, oh, please, we have to go. And he's like, oh, well, if I catch you again, you're going down. No. And then he catches him again, and he's like, oh, I'm, you got to do one more thing. This is going to be really bad. Well, all right, lady. We saw your clothed boobies. Keep going. So either these police are incredibly tolerant, or they are that averse to doing paperwork that they are willing to just keep like letting this happen. It could be a wire-like situation where they don't want to do the paperwork. Maybe there's like a, a side movie you could make about these cops and how they are kind of like I'm alright Jack where they're like they're like on a go slow kind of day and they're doing this because it's like well fuck them if they're not going to pay us we're not going to write tickets I want to know if Rawls is in, is in control of this police division that's right and we get Terry Thomas down here and put everybody in order I, I like how tennis. I like how we're combining the worlds of I'm alright Jack and the television series The Wire yes absolutely <laughs> but yeah. Peter Sellers would have been great on The Wire <laughs> who would he be McNulty Yes, absolutely. For sure. Omar. <laughs> he would be, yes, he, he, you know what? He you know would, what? He would be Omar. You know what? If it, was, okay. if it had been that era where Peter Sellers was acting, he if would Peter have Peter Sellers in blackface was doing Omar. I mean, he was in the party mm. as an Indian man. Yeah. So. Anyway, yeah, they're racing. That's that's the, that's the rest of the movie. The, that's the outline of the movie. The, the rest of the movie is just a big race to the finish. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about, first of all, because you mentioned, like, the cars that they're driving. This, to me, is the, funny right out of the gate mm. because it ends up being a racing movie, which, by the way, doesn't start until about 50 minutes into the 50 movie. Mi- I noticed that. 50 minutes in, it took for them to make the bet for the race. But I do like the buildup. Yeah. I think it builds up nicely, <laughs> and I feel like it's it's so kind of funny because usually, you know, you see a, you see a movie, like, and I can't believe I'm going to mention this, but The Fast and the Furious. Yeah. You know, you see a movie like that. You see a movie like Gone in Six. Seconds, all these like car movies, right? Mm. And it's just so funny to me that because you could see all the modern cars in the background of these scenes and these little like jalopies just plodding down the street is that they're racing in these cars that break down every, like, ten miles. And it seems so funny, because you think about, like, retro movies with cars, and you think about something like, say, uh, American Graffiti, right? Italian Job. Or Italian Job. With these, like, these classic kind of models of cars. But the idea of, like, the the nostalgia of these, like, old-ass jalopies that barely ran. Yeah. Like, they mentioned something in the beginning of the movie is a real fact, that at one time in Britain, like, if you were driving a motor car, you had to have a person on foot walking ahead of it with a red flag waving it. let's, Let's listen to that, because the the movie explains to you the importance of this London to, London to Brighton trip. Yes. Um, we actually have like a narrator essentially coming in and kind of talking about it before we get to the main crux of the film. What is taking place here is by now an old story, but surprising as it may seem, it was quite illegal until 1896. Until then, no self-propelled vehicle could take the road unless it was preceded by a man on foot and carrying a red flag. There were very few cars on the roads, and very few roads for that matter, merely stretches of dust. There were no garages or service stations, and the pioneer motorist bought his petrol from the chemist. 
But in that year was passed the Light Locomotives and Highways Act. To celebrate the event, the first car so emancipated started from the Metropole Hotel London and drove to the Metropole Hotel Brighton. Since 1928, the Veteran Car Club has held an annual commemoration run, but it is not and has never been a race. Here's a very handsome machine. So, um, so yeah, that's what we get. So we get that whole little bit, which I think is um, normally I'm like, oh, fucking voiceover, but I think that's helpful because it gives I'm, you a little bit of context. I'm kind of sad you cut that off early because I like him being interviewed because he's very nervous and he like fucks the interview up totally, and it's just a nice moment to see because you don't often see that in these mm-hmm. old movies. Somebody mm-hmm. kind of playing it that way, and I, I appreciated that. Well, fuck you, Jason, because that's the clip I got. I'm staring in your eyes. <laughs> Um, so yeah, no, I just think that's funny that, that, that idea of racing this, this high speed, this high speed race. At one point they say they're going 50. Yeah. And I'm like, 50. Well, even Ambrose is like, there's no way that car's going 50. Come on. (laughs) Which, um, this is, uh, the jolly old world of, uh, England. So this is, uh, kilometers. Oh, I also wanted to point out that, uh, uh, Alan, for some reason, the actor sounds like Eric Idle. I immediately heard his voice. He sounded like Eric Idle. Really? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if that's true, but that was what was the frequency that resonated in my eardrums as I watched the film from a VHS rip from a recording on Turner Classic Movies. That's the only way I could find it, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed the TCM logo in the corner. I was like, well, this... As soon as I started it, I saw the waiver. I'm like, this is a VHS rip. The, nice. I, I noticed, I said, this is a hard to find one. But it's probably a better, it's probably a better quality copy than if you found an actual VHS that it was put on. There are somehow clips on YouTube that are great quality. There is a Blu-ray somewhere, but okay. they're just made out to be a rip out there. It's like $100. Yeah. So, sorry. Sorry, uh, Rank Studios. I'm not paying $100. You, could, you couldn't get the uh, the abridged 16mm version for us to watch? No, sorry. I'm not Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> um, Stop. Well, I was in black and white. <laughs> With accompanying record. So, I just want to mention, too, so Henry Cornelius, the director of this movie, he Which made... sounds like a fake name. It, well, uh, maybe, you, I mean, you take that up with corporate. Hank Corn. They should, he should have called himself Hank Corn. Hank Corn. Uh, so, Hank Corn made Passport to Pimlico yes. uh, for Ealing Studios, but as we mentioned in that episode, he actually left the studio right after that to go independent, because he mm. wasn't a big fan of, of uh, working there, I guess. And I can't imagine they were much of a fan of him. No, I don't think they got along real well. He did approach uh, Michael Balkan, the legendary British producer, to make Genevieve for Ealing Studios. and uh, But because B- Cornelius returning would disrupt the studio's production schedule and that he had not won any friends at Ealing by leaving, uh, Balkan said no. So Cornelius took the film to Rank Studios and it turned out to be very profitable. Um, I don't have the exact numbers. I don't have the stats right in front of me. But it was one of the more profitable movies of the year for the British box office. Um, the original choices for the male leads. Now I wrote both down. The other, the one guy I don't really know, so maybe our listeners can tell us the significance of this. But one of the leads is going to be a, a gentleman named Guy Middleton. Okay. And I'm assuming this was going to be for the role of Ambrose. But the yeah. other guy that was uh, um, originally chosen was Dirk Bogart. Yes. Which I think was our really old interesting. friend. Yeah, our old friend. Um, they turned the film down, and the roles were given to. Uh, Kenneth Moore and John Gregson, respectively. Oh, wait, John Gregson. So I guess he was going to be the lead role. Dirk Bogart was going to play the lead. He was going to be Alan. Oh, yeah. He would have been fine. Interesting. Yes. Uh, the script for Genevieve originally called for the rivals to be driving British cars, uh, but no owners of such cars were willing to lend them for <laughs> filming. So eventually they had a Derek and a Spiker. 
the two cars that are used in the film. Um, Beautiful cars, by the way. Yeah, and they originally had the dark uh, name was originally Annie. They named it Annie. But Annie, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? And Annie was not okay because her real name was Genevieve, right. and that's what they renamed her. Certainly, that's what she's known as to this day. Um, and actually, the, the car, the, the original car, was named Annie. And because of the success of this movie, they actually went and renamed the car Genevieve. You can just do that. You don't have to file paperwork or nothing. <laughs> um, Genevieve and Spiker, by the way, the two cars in this movie, in 2002, they were in a 50th anniversary rally. So these cars are still running. Over a century old, both of them now. Yeah. Um, both of them, as of 2012, now they're not running anymore, but they are on display at the at the Lauman Museum in The Hague. Road trip! If we can get, like, a, a, a car to drive to the Netherlands? Do you think... We the, just have to wait to winter. Do you think border security will be like, what's your purpose of visit? <laughs> oh, we want to see the cars from the film Genevieve? Are you familiar? <laughs> do you know what I'm talking we about, We just hand sir? them the fucking BFI list and point to the on there, the, 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 the one you struck out. Why is it struck out? Well, because we already watched it. We, that's we, why it's... Yeah. We just hand them a link to our uh, Podbean website. <laughs> Send them, hand them a uh, fucking mini disc with the episode on it. <laughs> well, that's... This episode right now. I mean, that's the only way you can listen to this podcast. Yeah, mini discs. You have mini discs. You, and thank you, folks, for subscribing to our Patreon and getting the mini disc delivered to your house. <laughs> Guys, G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra was so prescient. You know what? You know what's wonderful, Brendan, is that if we were a more popular podcast, we would probably have to make that mini disc because it would become a running bit amongst our thousands upon thousands upon thousands of fans. What do you mean, if? But I feel like our fans are savvy enough that they're past that. They don't need a fucking mini disc of our show. I mean, my dad, if you're out there, dad, you might, just just to say you have one. I know you probably don't know what a mini disc is, and I don't blame you, because who does? I mean, if anyone knows how I can get my hands on a mini disc, please let me know, because I want a mini disc. Yeah. I'm just saying. Mini discs were great. Uh, my, I, it's funny, Brennan, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before on this podcast, uh, but I love to say this. Growing up, I had uh, a kind of a group of four best friends, and three of them had many disc players. <laughs> three of them. One of them had it because his dad bought it in for him when he was on a trip to Japan and brought him home a mini disc player, and so that was pretty cool. And then the other two guys were like, "That's really fucking cool," and they managed to buy them. Mm-hmm. And I always felt left out because I did not. I had an MP3 player, Brendan, but it only had 64 megabytes of capacity, so I could only store about an hour's worth of music on it. Only. Well, that, that wasn't very much back then, no. was it? It's not very much now. It wasn't. It was one CD back then, barely. Yeah. I couldn't listen to the wall. I had to listen to half the wall. The wa. Yeah, exactly. Or the oh. Oh. You're like, you know, if, if I want Crocodile Rock... I got to drop Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, and I don't know how I feel about that. That's fucking right. That Jason. Was, it was a tough time. What movie were we talking about? Genevieve. All right, yes. 1953 <laughs> is Genevieve. We need to get back on this. Um, you mentioned their uh, their argument near the beginning. Uh, uh, losing the names now. Alan and, Alan and, his, and Wendy. his wife? Wendy. Wendy, okay. yeah. Because this, to me, was one of the most realistic scenes in the entire movie. Um, is, it's almost kitchen sink drama territory, Brandon. Genevieve, Genevieve, you want to ride with me? You're oh. gonna stop going around with that black fella. Oh, this isn't a taste of honey. Oh, <laughs> oh right. But let's listen to a little bit of their interaction. Um, so just just to set this up, this is near the beginning of the film, and uh, Ambrose has kind of entered the fray, and he's very touchy, ha- handsy with uh, with Alan's wife, Wendy. And she tells him that she basically doesn't want to go on this trip, this London to Brighton thing. She thinks it's kind of silly. And Alan walks in and cue the confusion. Oh, I see. That smells delicious. 
wasn't very much. Well, you know me, just a crust of bread. Any sherry? Help yourself. How's the advertising business? Dark, tedious, but lucrative. You have one, Wendy? Thanks. Who's the lucky girl this year? One, Rosalind Peters. She's a model. Oh, what does she model? Well, she's... Oh, don't tell me, I can guess. She says they're wearing the same thing in sweaters this year. <laughs> she seems very interested in vintage cars. Oh, wait until she's bounced all the way to Brighton and back. Bounced? My spiker doesn't bounce, it flows. You don't seem very excited about the rally, if I may say so. Not exactly beside myself. If I didn't know you better, I'd say your enthusiasm was on the wane. Oh, Ambrose, the whole thing's so silly. Oh, steady on, old girl. The London Brighton's silly. Oh, it is. It's childish and a bore. Does Alan know you feel like that about it? No, of course not. I couldn't possibly tell him. Couldn't possibly tell me what? Uh, nothing. Well, tell me. No, it's nothing. Ambrose is staying to lunch. Brown or white? What couldn't you possibly tell me? The fact is, old boy, there's a spot of treachery in our midst. Wendy says... Ambrose! Wendy says the London Brighton is a bore. Ambrose, I think you're fine. Does that mean you don't want to go? No, of course I'll go. You don't have to go, you know, if you don't want to. I don't? Well, frankly, children, this is beyond me. Is there something you'd rather do instead? Well, well is there? Now, just remember, will you? I didn't bring this up and I didn't want to talk about it, but as it happens, Tanya's having a party tomorrow. I'm having a party too. You, Ellen, Rosalind. The one weekend in the year that you know is important to me and you'd rather go to a... Well, of course I'd rather go to a party. Does that make me abnormal or something? I just love how... And, and that's just the start of it because then later on she's like... <laughs> they're, they're going back and forth, right? They're passively aggressive, passive-aggressively arguing. Yeah. And she says, like, you know... Oh, fine, I'll go. And he's like, no, no, I'm not going because you don't want to go. And then yeah. she finds that he he got her like a bonnet. Yeah. And she gets very excited. People are very excited about hats in this oh, movie. She, I mean, back in the day, man, if you wanted to get to a woman's heart, you gave her a goddamn hat. And then, loved him. And then later on, too, when they're driving, when they're when they're going to Brighton, um, they, they have a moment where... Uh, he says, you know, if you want to turn around, I get it. And she says, no, I don't want to. He's like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah. No, I don't want to. Are you sure? Well, you know what? Fine, I do. Oh, but do you? Yeah. But, you but this, come she on. She calls his bluff. Yeah, and it's like, yes, that's that's a realistic, <laughs> Very realistic. couple's argument. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, in a movie that's pretty silly overall. But And that also is, is so derivative of or directly attributed to the British politeness and to uh, and Canadians we have that too where it's yeah. like nobody wants to just outright say what they want. They just want to pretend like oh it's like oh no whatever you want to do in the hopes that you can just manipulate them into being like no let's do what you want to do. Are you sure? Yeah absolutely. Oh well I guess that's what we'll do then what I want to do. I wonder if that's because if that's why whenever I see a, like a Canadian film with a character that's supposed to be like aggressive or making, you know, decisions on their own. I'm like, I don't buy it. <laughs> feels weird. <laughs> yeah, it feels very weird. Um, all right, well... I, By I, the way, a question for you. Yeah. Uh, in history, across the board. Okay, I'll, well, hold all on. All time. Let me just... Okay, I'm, Ready? I'm in. Ready? You yeah. got everything locked and loaded? Yes. Favorite Ambrose? Dean. Oh, interesting. Very good. Okay. Uh, I was going to say Burnside. The, the general in the uh, Civil War, Union general, uh, who popularized the facial hair now known as sideburns. You would say that. Yeah. Good old Ambrose Burnside. Look him up. And I'll go with my wrestling reference. Got it in. You got it. <laughs> um, 
But in the, I think this is the second week in a row where we have a movie in which the female characters are shown to be much smarter than the males. Yeah, and, and also the, uh, the little bit, little bit of female liberation in this movie, I can point out to you, a specific moment. Okay. Because she, first of all, she walks in the room. Now, when into you say the kitchen. she, you're talking about Wendy? Wendy, yes. Okay. Wendy walks into the kitchen. Number one, she's wearing pants. Mm-hmm. So there we go, number one. Number two, when the, when the subject of meal comes up, she says, proper lunch or proper dinner? And he thinks for a second goes proper dinner. That means he got a choice. He can have a proper lunch or a proper dinner. That was that was you know that was a new thing. He didn't. She just didn't have to make him a proper lunch and a proper dinner. He had to choose. Mm-hmm. Go women. <laughs> Making advances in 1953. You Things go, girl. It's hard to believe it's getting better. I mean, damn, you gotta respect all that, the time. Oh yeah, little, little, the little things. Yeah, the little things. The ladies, ladies making lunch for you. I mean, Gregory's girl has the ups on this by uh, do you, twenty-seven do, years. Do you so. love it as much when your lady makes you lunch or supper as I do when my lady makes me my, uh, supper? I mean, sure, it's the best. Yeah, it's the best. I'm a terrible cook, so we split the duties evenly. <laughs> well, we, we we split them too, but we often will alternate. Like if one's working, the other one will cook. And and but man, when I have a dinner made for me, it is the best. Ladies, well, I'm married, so don't be saying ladies. Jason's available. No, I am not. He's a single man. He's uh... That's my ring. I'm tapping on the microphone. <laughs> he's he's waiting for your calls. <laughs> Please, no, no calls. Uh, they will be blocked. Call him up. Five oh six four. Unless you've got a couch that was on the used on the Tonight Show in 1976, don't you dare call me. <laughs> oh, I never know what you're talking about. Um, so probably stinks like cigarettes. Anyways, let's uh, let's move on. Yeah. So I wanted to. Okay. So for yeah. So I just wanted to say that that the yeah. women in this movie appear to be much smarter than the men. And Rosalind, of course. Well, you wanted to mention Rosalind. Mm. What a what a minx. Oh, she's fantastic. She's fantastic. She's a uh, she's her own independent woman in 1953. She's coming and hanging out with a dude. And what's really funny is that um, Ambrose, you know, the, the best friend character. Uh, and now I'm t- just picturing Dean Ambrose in this movie, so thank you <laughs> You're for welcome. That. <laughs> uh, that's, who, that's who I pictured every time they said his name. Uh, but Ambrose, the best friend character, uh, says that he has this girl, Rosalind, and, you know, he says, like, oh, are you, are you uh, fond of her? And he's like, oh, she's a woman in the broadest sense. Like, she's... she's <laughs> a great says. line. I don't even know what that means. I don't know. in the broadest sense. But I assumed it meant she was... Like the best, yeah. And then he says, "You know, is is she keen about you?" And he's like, "Oh, she's chomping at the bit, basically." And then you get the sense that that's not the case. I well, I get the sense that he every single year, uh, Ambrose brings a lady with him and tries desperately to fuck this lady. Well, but he never has success. Do you, shall shall we shall we listen to that here? Because let's listen to the, uh, uh, the let's listen to this innuendo lace scene and see if we can parse it out. Yeah, let's let's nineteen let's un nineteen fifty three this shit. This is a scene where Ambrose is dancing with Wendy, while Alan is being told uh, has just been told by Rosalind like, oh, you should keep an eye on your. This lady. is the poisoning of his mind. Yes. What do you think of Rosalind, eh? I think she's terrific, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I tell you something, Wendy. In complete confidence, of course. But one of my greatest ambitions all these years has been to uh, let's see. Let's has been to combine the pleasure of the London Brighton with a really beautiful emotional experience. You mean you never have? It's incredible, isn't it? But every single... <laughs> now, don't laugh. Please, please. Every single year, something's gone wrong. 
In 48, the wretched girl had to come all the way to Brighton to discover that she'd got measles. <laughs> German measles. And in 49, the wretched girl locked you out of her room all night. Poor Ambrose. What happened to the others? Well, in 1950, she suddenly... Well, never mind the details. <laughs> the fact is that this time, at long last... The old London to Brighton takes on a special significance. Congratulations, Ambrose. I'm very happy for you. By the way, did you ever tell Alan about that weekend? No. Why not? He never asked me. Well, you don't suppose for a moment he thinks that... That I was an emotional experience? <laughs> no, I'm sure he doesn't. Well, I don't know. He's always giving me some peculiar looks. Oh, no, you mustn't think that. Alan may have his little shortcomings, but he's certainly not the jealous type. My question here is... Um... Now you you mentioned while we were watching the clip yes. the 1949 thing mm. uh, he mentions when the girl locked him out is, which I picked up this time I didn't realize you, you say it's Wendy see yeah. I thought the 1951 was Wendy because when they say no, 1950 he says oh let's just not talk well, about no, that no but one. later he when when um, Alan confronts her in the room and he's like he's like what happened in 1949 oh, what what was it and, okay. and we learned in there which I didn't realize on the mm-hmm. first watch that she locked him out of the room so, so they never a they never ended up doing and she anything. and she's kind of drunk so she's kind of teasing him about it right. She's mm-hmm. kind of playing with him, but he's not playing. Right. He is not playing. But what we see in this scene, as I pointed out, what we see in this scene is he's like, oh, I, 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 my, my dream is to come up here and have an emotional experience, which in my mind translates to the, the only thing I want is to be able to combine my love of driving the car and then fucking a girl and then driving the car home. Yeah. Yeah. And, which... and, and somehow he has not been successful in that pursuit in any of these years, which to me says that he's kind of a creep. Well, he's got bad game, Very as bad we game. see in this movie. Yeah, no, his game's not great. Um, also, I want to mention, too, uh, they, they use the term an emotional experience, yeah. which is a 50s way of saying It's a fun sex. innuendo, yeah. But later on, Wendy says to Alan, make love to me several times. And yes. I think I think the reason they can get away with that married. is because they're a married couple. Absolutely. Exactly. They're married. 100%. I just think that's it's such a it's such a funny like v, like time capsule. Well, and, and I, I read a random fact, and I'm sure you have this listed in your notes, but uh, I'll mention it just because it's in my head. Um, that they apparently in America, one of the more controversial scenes in this movie is the scene where she runs out to get a penny from him to go uh, use the toilet because at you know in, in America at the time in the early '50s, mentions of toilets were kind of taboo in movies. You didn't see them. In I movies don't even and remember TV that shows. scene. Like, it, it, so they pull over. So they're driving along, and uh, Wendy is like. I, you're going to need to pull over. And yes. he, he's like, oh, really, you can't? And she's like, no, I have to. And so she pulls over, and then we see her run across the road. She goes into the building, and she comes back out of the building and sticks her hand out, and he gives her a penny, and she runs back in. And, and in England, spend a penny is slang for go to the bathroom okay. because you often needed a penny to use the pay toilet. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, because I mean, this is pre-psycho. This is pre-the toilet flushing yes. on camera. Yes, so. Absolutely. Yeah, this is revolutionary stuff. Yeah. It, it, it could have scandalized an entire generation of Americans. Who knows what could have happened? Richard Nixon could have got three terms. Ma! I changed the Constitution. Because, because of the film, John. I'm, I'm a vampire. Blah! <laughs> vampire Nixon. Blah! Jason's new character. That's how I'm still alive. Jason's new hit character. Yes, Vampire Nixon. It's oh, how I'm arrested. The only way I can stay alive is to suck blood. Apparently, Ed McMahon a little bit. <laughs> <in there. laughs> I always respected Ed McMahon. Yes. Um, so we talk about that, yeah. The very, like, sexual, sexually risque for the time. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, and it's pretty clear to us in 2020. I hope it was as clear to people in 1953 what they were talking about. I think it was. I think they knew what was going on. Um, Jason, there's one moment, and I mean, 
we've got other topics to get to, but there's one moment I have to single out. And Please. I know you mentioned it because we talked about it while we were playing one of the clips. Yeah. But there is a moment where Ambrose has a laugh. Yeah. And I'm just going to play it. And I'm just going to see, let the listener to decide if it sounds a little familiar. To see if you think what we thought. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, like, that is clearly, at least to me, and probably and, and to you, I know. Absolutely, 100%. Woody Woodpecker. Yeah, that was a Woody Woodpecker laugh, for sure. Right? And Woody Woodpecker had started in 1940. Yes. So, this is prior to this film. Yeah. So, I think this movie is referencing Woody Woodpecker. And I feel like Woody Woodpecker probably was something that made its way to England. Uh, if, well, if you were alive in 1953 and remember Woody Woodpecker in England, let us know, <laughs> you ancient person who's... Congratulations on, on loading podcasts up because not everybody your age is willing to take the time to learn how to do this. And I, <laughs> I thank you. There's too many old people that don't want to even try. And you know I what? respect you, the 75-year-old person that is listening to this podcast, for doing so. Go if to the website or use Spotify. That's the easiest way I can describe it. You're probably in Alabama, so I salute you, Alabama. God damn it. What's with you in Alabama? <laughs> because you said Alabama had a lot of spikes. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Alabama. Shout, shout them out again, Jason. Alabama. I salute you and your weird flag. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so I just thought that was an interesting thing because Ambrose is kind of like a Woody Woodpecker type character. Yeah. Always banging his face into walls. <laughs> yep. Metaphorically speaking. Red on his head. That's right. A beak. And another thing I have to isolate out of this movie is Joyce Greenfell, who we have talked about in a movie before. Um, I'm actually just going to look it up while we play this clip. But she plays a hotel proprietress in Mm. this movie. And I think this is one of the funniest scenes in the movie, if not the funniest. This is Alec Baldwin and Gary Glenn Ross right here. (laughs) Yes. Um, So Alan and Wendy are on their way to Brighton at first. And they have to stop at a hotel. And Lord knows... Their reservation is not there anymore because he made it in advance, but then when they had their argument, he canceled it because they're because both Because he's very... a conscientious fucking guy, and he didn't want to leave that hotel on the hook or himself on the hook for uh, a bunch of quid. And they're both very passive-aggressive. Yeah. Um, but they're British. That's what British people do. That's right. That's the, might be the most British award might go to this whole movie. Yeah, I think so. Uh, so, so uh, he, yeah, so he mentions, like, oh, you know, this I, I had to cancel at this hotel, but don't worry. They told me about this great hotel down the road. Uh, it's just as good, if not better. And here we have uh, him meeting with the hotel proprietress as he signs in and the many rules and regulations of this hotel. By the way, I would say that Joyce Grenfell reminded me of like a female Terry Thomas. Yeah, definitely that vibe. It's rather noisy. Noisy? The lady who had it last one more permanent resident was totally deaf. So in her case, it didn't really matter. Unfortunately, only last week we lost her. You see, it's, it's really very... Well, I'm sure it will do very well. Well, it's very close Oh, that's to... all right. Which floor, please? It's number 57 on the 5th. Mr. and Mrs. McKim. Yes, that's right. Is there a lift? Oh, no. I'm afraid we have no lift. Well, is there someone who can give me a hand with these? I'm so sorry. The whole pot is just having his supper. But you can leave him there if you like. I think I can manage. Uh, is the bath near our room, please? No, both the bathrooms are on the second floor landing. The second? 
Yes, you'll see them on your way up. And when you want to take a bath, would you be so kind as to sign the little book you'll find just inside the bathroom door? Sign right now. Oh, I'm so sorry, but hot water is provided only in the afternoons between half past two and six. There's no hot water? Yes, hot water is provided in the afternoons between half past two and six. Darling, I think we'd better go out. But this is preposterous. Do I have to sign the book in order to have a cold bath? Well, the rule simply says that hot water is provided. You mean I can't even have a cold bath? Wendy, please. I'm very sorry, but I did not make the rules. Well, then who did? Oh, never mind. I don't want to know. No one's ever complained before. Are they Americans? Zing! Take that, Yanks. Yeah, even though they're clearly British. Yeah. <laughs> Are they Americans? Oh, we're all so funny. <laughs> and then, like, I love that scene. It's just, like, the, the classic, like, you know... Built up and built up of like ridiculous things, and then and then to to cap that off when they go in the to the hotel room, they are so close to the clock. Yeah. Like, to, to, I, is it supposed to be Big Ben? I, I don't know if it's specifically Big Ben, but it's a clock tower. Well, they're in Brighton, so yeah. it's, it can't be Big Ben. But yes, so it's a clock tower. They are so close to the clock tower that they can hear the hand slowly moving, mm-hmm. and then when it actually dongs it shakes the whole place like the hotel yeah. is so ridiculously close to the clock and a deaf lady died in that room less than a week previously <laughs> right right <laughs> um so i uh, yeah i just really love that scene and i did promise that i would tell you what joyce grenfell was from and i neglected to do that so jason continue on while i look that up anything else any any other before we get to your bits and bobs is there any like big like topics you want to talk about well let me just let me just do my bits and bobs here let me just roll through here so there's some jaunty music at the beginning we all like that hmm. that's pretty fun uh dude sounded like eric idol i mentioned that i was i uh, did uh because i knew nothing about this movie uh the scene where the camera opens up and we see genevieve written on the side of the car and i'm like oh it's a car it's a car uh, Joyce Grenfell was in the Bells of St. Trinian's. She played uh, Sergeant Ruby Gates. Okay. Was she like the... I'm finding that out right now. Was she the police officer? I think she was. I think she was the undercover. Oh. Crazy. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 she was okay. the girlfriend yeah, that goes right. undercover. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. This is only two years. Uh... Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. She's right. Oh, um, at one point, one of the characters, uh, I think it's Alan, is trying to calm, or no, maybe it's Ambrose, is trying to calm his other, and he goes, steady on, old girl. I want to I want to say that to my wife sometime and see if she hits me. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to put bets on it. Uh, at one point, they, 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 they used the phrase, cleaning my teeth, which is something I heard a lot growing up, but don't hear a lot elsewhere. And well, so, that's after uh, Alan accidentally breaks the window? Yeah. He, <laughs> she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, ah, don't worry about it. He just like smashes the window, and then he just he just casually leaves it there. Like, Jason, I want to talk about the the opening crawl, the opening Chiron, because they uh, they talk about the veteran car club of Great Britain. It is a time then... of galactic civil war. <laughs> <laughs> Palpatine has risen, <laughs> and the opening Chiron says any resemblance between the deportment of our characters and any club members is emphatically denied. By the veteran car club of Great Britain. <laughs> it's funny even in the beginning because it's like, yeah, it's it's a real uh, it's a real Monty Python the Holy Grail opening credits. But it, it's funny because it's like it, it's like from what I've read about this movie, they could never say that the veteran car club of Great Britain would endorse a race. Hmm. So they had to be like, no, no, 
There's no racing in this movie. Not by the car club. This is a totally thing. This is a total thing that would never happen. Continuing the bits and bobs. <laughs> yes. Such tiny beds. A married couple sleeping in a tiny bed together like that. That's mm-hmm. crazy. I mean, that's what they did back then, Brendan. But you, I know. You you know. I know. We both have bigger beds. Mm-hmm. Right? We talk about this every day. How I'm big a, our beds are. I have a bigger bed. You have a pretty big bed. Thanks. And, and you need it because you need you need room. I mean, I love cuddling up to my wife, but I also need room to spread out. I don't when I sleep. No? I need to be... I need to be just me. You just need to be just you. So yeah. you need that space. I don't like cuddling at night. I can't sleep. Understandable. It gets yeah. kind of hot, but I like feeling my wife against me. And if I don't want her there, I'll just push her off. Mm-hmm. Just fucking... Right just, off. Just Under. jam her into the fucking wall. What? Just, boom! <laughs> Take that, baby! Does she listen... <laughs> She's asleep. She doesn't notice. Okay. She's a very heavy sleeper. Does she listen to this podcast, Jason? Oh, no, 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 no. I will she re- has much better things to I do. I will specifically recommend her this episode. Oh, I'm sure. She'll love that one. <laughs> I love you, baby. baby. But yeah, tiny beds, and, and I don't approve of that. So I think that's that's the most morally offensive thing about this movie. Um, special shout out to Susie, the, the dog. I love the dog. Ro- Rosalind drags her dog along with her, and the dog is sweet. Beautiful uh, St. Bernard. Yeah, beautiful puppy. Like, roll over Beethoven, because yeah. Susie's on the prowl. Susie needed a bigger role in this movie, I believe. Yeah. Uh, well, Susie uh, is the one that travels with, uh, like you said, with Rosalind and Ambrose. Like, if this movie had been made in the in the last 25 years, I bet you Susie would have farted most of the way. And probably talked. And, it would have had the Michael J. Fox as the voice. I'm not deaf. I just can't stand listening to her. That's <laughs> the film Dr. Doolittle starring oh, Eddie Murphy. I, th- I was going to say Flintstones. No, sir. It's a living. <laughs> but yes, I agree. Susie is a great character, and I loved that dog, and it was a beautiful dog. So, another interesting kind of like, I don't know if this is a specific reference. I feel like it has to be. Uh, so, we've got all these, these guys dressed up in these stupid old-timey outfits Driving old-timey cars. Yeah. And Ambrose insists on calling um, Alan Old Sport. Mm-hmm. And that gives me a real Great Gatsby vibe. Uh, because as we know in Great Gatsby, Old Sport is, is used a lot. And they drive crazy old cars in, sure. that, in that movie. Uh, I don't know if in the book they specifically drive cars. I haven't read it. Uh, and I haven't I, read or seen the movie. Do you know Hunter S. Thompson said that he uh, typed that book out? Like he just he copied that book and typed it out on a typewriter just so he'd know what greatness felt Was like. the actor Benicio Del Toro watching? I hope so. Okay. Man, Not the character man, he plays. Man, you're doing a good job typing, man. That's some good shit. And that's just Benicio. That's not his character. Yeah, no, he's just like, Dr. Man, Gonzo. Man, Hunter Thompson, you could sure type. <laughs> I believe that was his campaign slogan. Now, and in Benicio de Toro's mind, that's what Hunter S. Thompson was most famous for. <laughs> typist. His typist abilities, yeah. <laughs> uh, this movie's like Cannonball Run for people pretending to be upper-class twits. Okay. Uh, Brendan, you have not seen Cannonball Run. No. I recommend you do, and the reason I recommend you do is because Cannonball Run is one of those kind of cultural movies of the time. It features a lot of of contemporary celebrities, mm-hmm. uh, specifically like Burt Reynolds uh, mm-hmm. and and Dom DeLuise is in there, and, and I think Jackie Chan shows up in in the movie. Maybe that's two. He's in one of them, anyways. Okay. Um, and it's about a, this race across the country, and it's just an excuse for comedy and celebrity cameos, and it's it's very much of the seventies, and so. Uh, to you and to the to all the fans of British movies out there, check out the American film Cannonball Run. Well, the only the only reference point I have for that movie is I know Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise are in it. Mm-hmm. The only other thing I know is the joke from a celebrity Jeopardy sketch from Saturday Night Live when he said, when the clue was, this movie proves that yes, cannonballs can run. <laughs> Burt, you might want to ring in on this one. 
Cannonball Run, I believe, is also one of the movies that popularized the post-credit blooper reel. Oh. Or not post-credit, but like during the credits blooper reel. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember for some reason in the middle of the Anchorman blooper reel, they threw in a, a blooper from like Smokey and the Bandit 2 or something. Either, yeah, either from that. Well, Smoking the Bandit might actually have been the one I'm thinking of, but. Yeah. Yeah. They that, definitely but, but throw. That, it, yes, or, or Cannonball Run or Smoking the Bandit. Yeah, it's Smoking the Bandit. Yeah, yeah. You're they, right. I, I, I'm an asshole. Smoking the Bandit popularized it, but then Cannonball Run also did it because Burt Reynolds was in it. And oh, Tom okay. DeLuise. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Assuming that my timeline's right, I don't know. If, Smoking if, the Bandit was before Smoking Cannonball the Run. Smoking the Bandit nerds, let me know if I'm wrong. Weirdly enough, I've not seen Cannonball Run, but I have a weird recollection for years. I've seen Smoking the Bandit either. I have, I know, but I have a weird recollection of years of movie that, for movies that were released, and I can tell you that Smoking the Bandit was definitely before Cannonball Run. Okay, thank you, thank you for validating me. You're welcome. Continue on. Uh, we already said uh, Ambrose laughs like Woody Woodpecker. Um, Woody Woodpecker. Woody Wood. Woody Woodpecker. Woody Woodpecker. His Woody cousin. Woodpecker. Um, I, I like when the camera car comes by and they're kind of broken off on the side of the road and he like, he tries to start the car and it jumps and she dumps the coffee on herself. And I gasped because mm-hmm. I know what it's like to drop hot coffee on myself and she's pissed about it. And then the camera car shows up and they're like, Oh, Hey, camera car. And then he tries to start it again and she does it again. And the camera guy loves it. Well, yeah, because it's someone documenting the race and I actually wrote down, it's not a like, race. Well, no, sorry. The, the, the tradition. Rally. The rally. We'll say. Um, and I, wrote, I actually wrote down, this is the 1953 version of getting caught on an embarrassing cell phone video. Yeah, pretty much. like, this guy has, like, a full, like, huge movie camera. Yeah. And just points it down. He's on the back of, like, a truck. It's so rare that that would happen to you in 1953 yeah. to be caught on camera in an embarrassing situation. But also, thankfully, the, the opportunities to see it are very limited because you're like, come to the theater if you want to see yourself. <laughs> I'm going to do a six theater run. <laughs> But yeah, camera cars are fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they jinx it, of course. He says, we're making good time, and then his car breaks down. That happens like twice, I think. Yes. He says, we're making good time, and then at one point he's like, we're way ahead. And So he, he like, so it's, yeah. That's so Alan, they, they the break way. down, and then they're dealing with it. And of course, Ambrose drives by, gives the Woody Woodpecker laugh, and laughs at them. He's like, ah, you assholes. And then he, like, drives by, and then his car immediately explodes. <laughs> And so they get their car fixed and they drive by and they they basically, well, they don't flip them off. But in my mind, they flip them off as they drive by. I mean, it's basically cat and mouse. Like, they, they, they're constantly passing yes. each other, breaking down the other person passes. But my, my but of this scene, I, I, I laugh because of the, uh, Alan starts laughing. And then we see a transition between a number of scenes where he continues to laugh. And then finally gets to a point yes. where she's like, it's not that funny. And yes. No, not only that, Jason, but like when Alan is laughing, no, it's Alan laughing. Yeah. Because Alan is laughing that Ambrose has broken down. Yes. And not only is it funny that they're transitioning, but when they transition, you see the road signs. Yeah. And you see that he's been laughing for five kilometers. <laughs> he just keeps laughing. And it, and it just made me laugh because it reminds me of that scene on The Simpsons where, where Mr. Burns has the memory of him as a boy in the bumper car running into the running into the, the maintenance guy at the, on the bumper cars, just slamming into him on the wall. And he keeps laughing and laughing and laughing. And it's like for days and then finally he goes, wait a minute, what was I laughing about? <laughs> oh, yes, that crippled Irishman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, beautiful car shots against the Brighton seaside. Uh, Brighton looks really cool. It's a nice-looking town. It's has that famous, um, like, uh, 
Doc, which I feel like we've seen in other movies. Uh, I, I don't was it one of the gangster movies or something we saw like the the lighted up uh, like the Long Doc. Good Friday or something. Yeah, one of those things that I don't know if it was specifically well, Brighton, but that same British I, seaside town kind of vibe. I think Brighton was a setting in that movie, so mm. I think I think you're not far off. So yeah, maybe I just recognized that kind of area, even though yeah. it was 1953 versus the 80s. Uh, at one point. Um, yeah, oh, so when they get there, um, Ambrose and Rosalind are talking, and they're like, well, do you want to go get a drink? Or we could go check out the hotel room, which means, hey, do you want to go get a drink, or do you just want to go fuck right now? <laughs> just do it. Let's just go do it. Let's just raw dog it right now. And she really doesn't have too much of an she's interest. Like, she's like, I'd rather drink, thank you. <laughs> which we even, see later. Even later, like when, when he makes his move, and they're, they're macking each other a little bit mm. outside, and then when she realizes that he stole uh, Alan's... Uh, you know, part of Alan's car yeah. to get it to stop working. She says, Oh, that's disgusting. And yeah. then they get back in the car and drive. Absolutely. Um, in the hotel room when the clock bell goes off, we, we see Wendy have a breakdown and have a historical moment where she just finally starts laughing and everything. Cause it's all, it's all fucked. It's all fucked. And all you can do is laugh. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate it. Kind of like the current good. situation in our world. Yeah, exactly. All you can do is laugh or you're going to cry. <laughs> uh, Rosalind tried to poison his mind. We heard that scene. Ambrose is mad. He's never gotten laid at a car rally. We talked about that. Uh, I'll show him how to play a uh, plumpet. She says, I'll show them how to play the plumpet. Oh, because she's drunk. Yeah, she's drunk. And she's like, oh, I'm going to play the trumpet and or the plumpet. And and Ambrose is like, no, God, no, please don't. No, no, don't go up there. Don't make a fool of yourself because you think she's just hammered. And she's like, I if I can do it. So she goes up and she grabs the trumpet and she just starts fucking wailing on the thing. She's just fucking owning it. But doesn't that also like point to the fact that he knows nothing about her? He knows nothing about her and he's a misogynist uh, to some extent. So he does, there's nothing in his mind that assumes that she could possibly know how to play the trumpet. Yeah, like I feel like Ambrose knows less about her. I think she knows more about him than he knows about her. Like she knows, she knows enough to be like, to talk to Alan and be like, I wouldn't trust him around your girl. Yeah, well, Ambrose strikes me as the kind of guy that likes to talk about himself and she just listens. Yeah. He doesn't really give a shit about what she has to say. Right, exactly. And yeah, and that trumpet scene, by the way, is great. But she goes up and she plays the trumpet. It's great. Everybody has a great time. She sits back down and immediately passes out. Um, and then and then Wendy and then okay I gotta note this because I had the captions on yeah and when she passes out the captions read yeah. Wendy laughs because she knows that Ambrose will not get his emotional experience now wow wow right that's some descriptive captioning <laughs> right and then it said and then followed by Wendy is the only one who gets this <laughs> that's that's helpful Ambrose comes back over with a, a bottle of wine. And he starts filling up everybody's glasses, and uh, Alan holds his glass up, and Ambrose totally just ignores him. Doesn't even touch it. He fills up. He fills up Wendy's glass, and he fills up uh, Rosalind or his glass. And I guess Rosalind's passed out, so he probably does. Or no, he does fill up her glass before she passes out, but doesn't fill up Alan's glass. And I think that just compounds Alan's jealousy. Like he's like, "Oh, this is a slight to me." Yeah, I didn't even notice that. And then you know what? It kind of calls back to the scene near the beginning of the movie where uh, Ambrose bursts in the scene and has sherry, mm. has some sherry with Wendy. And then when Alan goes to take a drink after, there's none left. Yeah. So I think he's always getting left out. He feels like a third wheel, even though this is his wife. Yes. And to the movie's credit, they don't support his view. No. They're like, Alan's just being silly and jealous. Exactly. His his reasons for the jealousy are pretty silly. Yeah. Um, So 50 minutes into the movie, they make the bet. It's for 100 quid. Um, And they, they get ready to go. Rosalind is quite hungover to the point where she's wearing glasses. 
And that's when, is, is that when he's encouraging, let's have a few drinks before we go? And he's like, no, we're going to do this. Let's fucking do this. And he's like, oh, you go ahead. We'll, we'll have a few drinks and we'll yeah, catch up Yeah, Ambrose tells them, like, you, you go ahead, get a head start. We're just going to have a couple of brews and... Have some hair of the dog and breakfast, and then we'll, we'll, we'll be along. We'll take our time. We don't need to worry about it, because we're going to beat your ass. We've got no problem defeating you. Assholes. Yeah. Uh, so they get a head start, but then they get pulled over because they're going so fast, and that's when uh, Rosalind uses her womanly charms to get out of the ticket. Yeah. Wait. Is it... Are you, ta- are you sure you're or talking not about Rosalind, Alan? Sorry, uh, Wendy. Wendy uses Yeah, you're talking her about Alan and yes, Wendy Alan get pulled Wendy. over. Yes. Wendy uses her womanly charms to get out of the ticket, and those taller police let them And out. that's when they say, you're going 50 miles an hour. And yeah. I'm like, nope. No, nope. like they were going pretty fast, but I don't think they were going fifty. Even fifty kilometers, no. That car would that car would be like Scotty would be in the back of there going, "You gotta think of Captain. She's gonna fly apart the seams." <laughs> yeah, I sabotaged the car uh, like, like Scotty in Star Trek Three when he took the parts out of the Excelsior to sabotage the transwarp drive so the Kirk and company could get away so they could resurrect Spock on the Genesis planet and bring him back to Vulcan where they could put McCoy's Katra back into Spock's head, but instead they have to go get some whales. Well, obviously, Jason, we both know extensively about that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just, that that is canon. Yeah. That is on the board. Of um, uh, What goes on inside their heads? I forget why I wrote that down. Oh, is, is that the men or the women? I, I, forget, I forget who's talking about that. What goes on inside their Actually, heads? Actually, um, oh, cars and the other thing. Right. He yeah. says, what's going on inside their heads? It's cars and the other thing. And she's like, well, my husband only thinks about the car. Well, actually, you know what? Let's listen to that scene before yeah. we go any further. Because there's a scene here where they nearly come to blows at this point. Yes. And uh, the... The most telling dialogue is the stuff between Rosalind and uh, Wendy. Yes. I tell you straight off, that's the most disgusting trick I've ever known a man to play. Which trick? Stealing the top of my float chamber or telling the police I'd stolen my own car. You started all that. You can't even cheat on a decent basis. You let us think you'd been killed. <laughs> oh, well, the report of my death was, uh, what was it the man said, greatly exaggerated. Who cares about your death? I was thinking about Wendy. And if it weren't for Wendy, I'd give you a lesson you'd never forget. Have you ever seen anything like it? Is it really like this every year? Not quite like this. No, well, if you feel in an instructive mood, I warn you, I'm almost at breaking point. Go on, then break. I warn you. (laughs) What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What goes on inside their heads? That's what I'd like to know. Don't know about your husband, but Ambrose seems to think of only two things. That silly old car and the other thing. What other thing? (laughs) Oh, no, my husband only thinks about the car. So another funny way around the censor, because again, Ambrose and Rosalind are not a married couple, so they can't ever say that they're making love. No, certainly not. So it's and so like they have like the the whistle, which is okay. Can I just say for a second, like yeah. that is such a, a funny thing to think about, like the fact that like they have to reference it in the most ridiculous way that everyone knows what they're talking about. So yeah. isn't that just as bad as saying that they made love? <laughs> like that's and that's you know, and then you compare that to comedies of, of the last, of, you know, of the modern era. You think about something like MacGruber, where he's just like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot, I'm gonna shoot, I'm gonna fuck you, I want you to fuck my face, and my nose is gonna be your dick." <laughs> Whatever he says. Yeah, yeah, they couldn't have got away with that in 1953. I mean, probably not. Probably um, not. At one point, they buy ice cream, and he's like, "Doubles for everybody," and they get the ice cream, and it's like, "That's a fucking double." That is the What's f- a single? That is. Like like, that is like those little ice cream candies. Yeah, it's like a single, just like like a tiny little like Baskin Robbins spoon full of ice cream, and that's <laughs> all you get for a single. Yeah, fucking you mooks. What are you doing, Britain in the fifties? You assholes. I get it. Shit. Rationing was still going on, but that's not a double, you 
dickheads. All right, Jason's on a warpath right now. Look, when I get an ice cream, my friends, I want a a solid, dependable amount of ice cream. I want an ice cream that I know when I go into the store that I am going to leave satisfied. And that bullshit would not fly. Now, I get it. I'm a fat guy. I like ice cream. What are you going to do? But in 1953, I'd have punched a guy. I think what Jason's trying to say is that his ice cream is made in America. No. My ice cream is made in Scottsburg, Nova Scotia. In America. I will fuck you six ways from Sunday. Well, okay, but on the seventh way, do you have any other bits and bobs? Yeah, there's just a couple more here. Okay. Uh, Somebody at one point shouts, woman driver. Yeah, well, that's Ambrose. Because it's an old lady, because he gets stuck between them. (laughs) He gets stuck between a truck and the old lady... It's funny. And then, yeah, and then he has to, like, park, and then the guy parks behind him, and the guy doesn't want to move, and the lady is in the store, and, yeah, it's lots of, uh, lots of like, back and forth. And then at one point, Alan gets delayed by an old man who follows it, falls into a nostalgia hole, remembering having this car, and Alan is just like, yeah, whatever. That's the most British part of the movie, yeah. because Alan's, Alan gets distracted by a guy reminiscing about the car. Yeah. And, and, you know, his memories with it. Yeah. And he's too British to he's, be like, exactly. listen, I'm in a race. Yeah, he's like, I, I got to be somewhere. No, he listens to the guy. He listens to him patiently and eventually, like, even, like, gets his card and is like, if you want to take it for a drive, I'll bring it over. And he even accepts defeat for a minute because he's like, there's no way I'm catching up to Ambrose yeah. now. But as we know, the film ends with the car uh, Genevieve winning yes. because Spiker... The other car yeah. gets caught on like a railway, which which is, is referenced very early in the movie where they complain about the uh, the trolley tracks on right. the road and because the wheels are very narrow, right? And yeah. They tend to get caught in the tracks, and he gets caught in one of the tracks and ends up going the wrong way away from the bridge. And meanwhile, Genevieve gets onto the bridge but breaks down, and then they get out of the car, and then as they're fucking around, uh, the 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 gear uh, lever just goes forward, and then the car rolls on its own and rolls across the bridge and wins the race. And I like how it ends there. Yeah. Like it's it's a, again no fucking around these old movies man they just go the end and it's done yeah I mean I mean Doctor Zhivago aside yes yeah, I suppose yeah <laughs> uh, but no I wish they had a blooper reel is all I'm saying Zhivago <laughs> yes oh man Can you imagine I feel like uh, all the stuff with Rod Steiger would be uncomfortable <laughs> very <laughs> but um yeah no this movie just like it gets to its conclusion and it just it's the end mm. there's no wrap up there's nothing it just that's the end, end of the race and Alan and spoiler alert Alan and Wendy win the race so this uh, this movie was written by a gentleman named William Rose uh, who also wrote a film that uh, Americans would be much more familiar with it's called It's a Mad 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 World this movie is, is that the right amount of mads yep four okay. mads okay uh, th- I, I, yeah, I make sure okay, <laughs> okay. I trust okay. you yeah uh, this movie is quite possibly, if not definitely, the largest ensemble of talent, especially at the, for the time period it was, 1963. Yeah. This is like, everyone was in this movie. And, everyone, and, everyone, and if you weren't you in mean the... mad, 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 mad world. What's that? Mad, 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 mad world. No, mad, 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 mad world. For Mad's world, yeah. you're talking about right now. Yes. Everybody's in this movie. So that's what Cannonball Rose for, what Run was for America in the 70s. It was... That the 80s. idea, yeah. or early 80s, it was that idea of like all these celebrities concentrated in one yeah. movie that was a road movie. So this movie, though, it's Mad, 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 Mad World, 1963, everyone in the world is in it, everyone. Um, and if you weren't uh, an, uh, in a role, a speaking role, you had a cameo. There's a great scene in that movie. One of my favorite scenes in any comedy is when there's a fire in a building, 
and they cut to the firemen outside, and it's the Three Stooges. And that's the end of the joke. You just know right there it's not going to go well. That's all you need. Great, great joke. Um, of course, I mean, if people didn't have the context, maybe it doesn't play as well. Now, but wait. Now, was that – it was Moe and, and, and Larry. But, and Curly. But, oh, it was Curly. Oh, yeah. Okay, Curly yeah. was still around. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, but that movie was one of the, like, you know, biggest movies of its day. Huge budget. They did giant tours with it. They went on the road. It's a roadshow movie. It's a roadshow movie. It's three hours and 20 minutes, the complete Ooh, cut of that movie. Jesus. But you know what? It's, it's not boring. Like you, you, you got to watch it in parts. That's it's like vignettes. Thing. I imagine it is basically vignettes. So you got to watch it in sections and you'll enjoy it. But my point is William Rose also wrote that movie. And uh, because the director of that movie, Stanley Kramer, was heavily inspired by Genevieve, but wanted to do it as an American film. And William Rose is like, yeah, let's do it. So they, they collaborated on it. Um, obviously, a much bigger scale. Mm. Um, but a lot of the little things in Genevieve here, he takes from it. Like, actually, I just want to play one more clip here. It's a clip of uh, Alan and Ambrose and a tote, a guy who tows Alan's car at yes. one point. <laughs> and they're all back and forth and they're arguing. And this just reminds me of any scene in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World where characters are talking over each other and arguing. It's very Robert Altman-esque. Yeah, it's very <laughs> reminiscent. Robert Altman as like a, in like a screwball comedy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just listen to this brief little moment here. Haven't you got any plates? You stopped so suddenly. Look, I what, was... you, look what you've done to this car. Well, it's not that serious, you know. My, my insurance will cover insurance? that. Insurance? What has that to do with it? This car belongs to my wife. And when uh -huh. she sees what... Uh -huh. Hey, how do we get ahead of you? Just what does this mean? Have you conceded the race? Take your hands off that cop. Of course I haven't conceded the race. I had to have a tow. Well, if we're going to get a tow to London, we can both be there in half the what time. What am I going to tell my wife? What? How do I know what you're going to tell your wife? Ask my wife. But there wasn't a single man. Who cares I about your bloody car? Why did you get out What do you want? A public apology on the basis of my wife? You only bought Well, have you conceded or not? Oh, shut up. You're worse than he is. Go away. Go away. You go away. Yes, go away. Go on. Get out of here. Buzz off. Oh, really? Ellen? So, I mean, if this was, like, you know, obviously uh, Mad, 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 Mad World, that other, that toe guy would have been, like, I don't know, Mickey Rooney or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, that, that's just, like, an example. So, this movie, I mean, you could argue for the, at least for the inspiration side uh, or the influence side, it influences one of the biggest American films of the 60s. Yeah, and, and eventually uh, influences one of the biggest American films of the 2000s, Rat Race. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Life is nothing but a slap in the face. Uh, featuring the one of the biggest bands in existence, uh, Smash Mouth. Oh, classic. Yeah. Oh, my God, it's Smash Mouth. Even when I watched that, shortly after it came out, I was like, uh, okay. That movie may, still makes me laugh, just the very idea that there was a Klaus Barbie museum. <laughs> hey, you know what? Rat the Race Butcher is, of Lion. Rat Race is underrated. Yeah. It's a funny... It's a Silly, silly movie. Ridiculous, dumb movie. And John Cleese is in it. And Rowan Atkinson. <gasps> I'm, weaning, right. I'm weaning, I'm <laughs> weaning. Okay, we have to stop talking He was, he was doing the Andy Kaufman uh, thing in that one. Um, yeah, I don't have any other bits and bobs, so let's talk about how it goes to the Oscars, Jason. Goodness me. It is nominated for two awards. Does not win anything, but is nominated for Dose Awards. Yeah. Is nominated for Best Music Score of a Dramatic or Comedy Picture. That's huh. the name of the award at the time. I mean, the score was cool, but it wasn't the thing that stood out to me about this movie. It goes to a film called Lily. Uh, and the other award it was nominated for, and this, I mean, it's cool, but I'm kind of surprised. It's nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Huh. Um, well, there's some fun dialogue in there. I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm not saying it's not deserved. It's just a, surprising to me. Uh, the winner that year was On the Waterfront. Ah. Yes. Tough crowd. 
At the at the BAFTAs, it is nominated for Best British Actor for Kenneth Moore, hmm. uh, Best Film overall, and it does win though. It does win Best British Film at the BAFTAs. Nice. Yeah. Genevieve was critically reviewed by Bosley Crother, who we've talked about before a little bit for the New York Great Times. Name. Great name. Oh, one of the best names of all time. Uh, he gave the movie a very positive review. He said, on the strength of the current mania that some restless people have for automobiles of ancient vintage, uh, what are fondly called veteran cars, a British producer-director, Henry Cornelius, has made a film that may cautiously be recommended as one of the funniest farce comedies in years. So this is like American graffiti for people in the 50s, basically, is what this boils down to? It's the car movie? Probably a lot less depressing. Yeah. I mean, American Graffiti does have that weird Chiron at the end where they're like, so-and-so died in Vietnam. I I, I guess American Graffiti, I I guess a better example would be as if it was actually set in like the 1900s and it was about like teenagers driving cars at that time. Right. It seems unlikely because you had had to have been a rich teenager to do that. See, and I thought before watching this movie, because I knew about the car aspect. Yeah. And I knew that it was, there was kind of a race thing and the Mad, 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 Mad World. I thought it had, it was actually like a, a piece that took place in like 1904. Mm. So when they showed all the modern cars, I was like, oh, interesting. Yeah. No, not what I expected. Mm. <laughs> um, this movie cost 115,000 pounds as a budget. And I don't have like great box office numbers, but I can tell you the U.S. rentals were $560,000. So all right. It did so well. It made some money. And I know in, in Britain it was like the number three or four movie of the year. Crazy. Yeah. One one last thing I need to say about this movie, by the way, we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, it's it's in color. It's a nineteen fifty three yes. movie. It's in color, and it's it's quite lovely. It's uh really the, the colors look nice, even though this was a version we watched that wasn't like a Blu Ray restored version. It still looked pretty cool, and I was afraid because it was on Turner Classic Movies that it was a colorized movie. So I looked it up to make sure, and no, it was colorized from the start. So that's good. It was uh, it was because it, it, it didn't look like a colorized movie in the same way the colorized movies like like the skin tones look better and everything like. Well, so. I can't watch black and white movies, Jason. They're worse than anything else. Yeah, and, and uh, you've been known to colorize them on your own if they're not available in a yes. colorized version. And I've seen those versions, and you make some very weird choices as far as the coloring goes. I mean, I think I made Birth of a Nation not racist anymore. <laughs> you certainly made a valiant effort at it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I can only do with I can only do. Uh, with what I've got. I can't wait to see your take on Triumph of the Will. <laughs> well, let's just say it's in the works and it is not going well. <laughs> Jason Genevieve, number 86 on the list. How do you feel about this movie? It's fun. Yeah. It's a fun movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a bit it's a bit light and fluffy maybe compared to some of the other things we've watched, but it, it's a fun movie and it's fun as a prototype for all those other movies we talked about. Uh, it's a cool uh, thing to watch. To see the roots. Put it on the box. It's a cool thing to watch. A cool thing to watch. You could say it. Jason McCloud for Screen and Country. Um, do you think, now, between the two Henry Cornelius films, do you prefer this or Passport to Pimlico? Passport to Pimlico, for sure. Okay. Um, uh, that's a good movie. Um, I, I like the, the conceit of that. This is neat, but, like, I think other movies have eventually done this concept better. But, but yeah, this movie is important for kind of the trail it blazed well that's an argument to be made too right like we could talk about movies that you know like you said trailblazers um but we can also talk about like what movie took that and kind of improved upon it and mm. i think it's a mad 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 world yeah kind of did that i think that i think that's a better version of this movie um i mean that movie is obviously more silly uh i think this movie has a lot more 
almost nuance mm. than people give it credit for, especially between Alan and Wendy. Like, I think their relationship is very realistic uh, and not what you would expect maybe in a movie like this. See, the road movie, of course, if we remember, Brendan, was perfected in uh, the, the Spanish, the Alfonso Cuaron Spanish film, Itumama Tamien, where two uh, teenage s- boys uh, uh, take a MILF on a, on a road trip and fuck her. I've not seen that. I actually... No, I don't think I've seen that. It's a good movie. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Based on your description, I wasn't <laughs> expecting you to say that, but yeah. No, it's a good movie. Okay. He's a good director. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, um, I agree. I think this is a fun movie. Um, I'm also there with you for Passport to Pimlico. I think that is a better movie. Mm. If you, you know, hold the gun to my head, pick a Henry Cornelius movie, because you never know when that's going to happen, Jason. <laughs> it's, a, it's a real possibility, especially in 2020. Especially in New Brunswick. Yes. Uh, like, New Brunswick, there's a lot of Henry Cornelius fans and haters uh, mm. that are roaming the streets in gangs at all times. Yeah, it's it's a real epidemic here. Yeah. When when COVID happened, I was actually like, well, at least we don't have the Henry Cornelius That's gangs right. Anymore. We don't have the Henry Cornelius problem we've had for many years in this town. <laughs> right. They clean that up real quick. Because mm-hmm. um, th- thankfully, the Henry Cornelius uh, gangs were not anti-maskers. That, so well, that, that was something. They, they, they were wearing masks and socially distancing. They so were doing they, something. They cleared out of the street very quickly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what is going on? All right. Take care of the, the Henry Cornelius gang's Mayor Mike O'Brien. But now, Jason, we come to a very special time on the show where we roll the dice and we find out with that dice roll what movie, what number on the BFI Top 100 Best British Films of All Time list that we are going to talk about next week. And we are getting close to the first 60. Yeah. So we're going to have to start ranking them soon. It's going to be a rank old time. Rank Productions production. Stop saying rank. Rank. It's rank in here. It is pretty rank in here. It's my bad. Well, that's just, it's a hot day, Brandon. All right, so I am going to roll. It is my turn to roll as we've uh, tried to remember. It took us way too long to remember that I'd like to admit. And if it, and if we're wrong, who fucking cares? It only matters to us. If we're wrong, you'll just do two weeks in a row, Jason. That's right. So I have a 1's D10 and a 10's D10. I am going to roll the 10's D10 first to see what decade number of the list we are in. So here we go. Let's see what we get. We're in the 20's. I feel like we don't have a lot of those left. Nope. All right, what do we got here? We got 20. Good one. 1946, Powell and Pressburger, A Matter of Life and Death. Or uh, if you're a Yank, Stairway to Heaven. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, Powell and Pressburger again. Okay, let's get back into this. We're, we're, we, we're sticking we, with this kind of theme. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if this is our. No, this is not our last one. We still have Colonel Blimp. Right. So we're getting, we're getting into this though. We get Powell and Pressburger, A Matter of Life and Death. This is a highly, highly regarded movie. 1946. We're gonna check this out. Jason and I are gonna report back with our results next week, as we do every single week on this program. But until then, Jason, they can find us on social media. They can find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for For Screen. And Gundre. You can find us on all the podcatchers, forscreencountry.podbean.com, and all classy podcatchers. You can find... The classiest. You can find Jason on Twitter. You can find me at Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. And see me retweeting uh, fun stuff like Accidentally Left Wing. Yeah, and if you want to see pictures of him fucking cars named Genevieve... That's also there. But you have to join his OnlyFans. That's right. And and I'm working on getting a hold of a DeLorean. Okay. So oh, know, that's there's sound- going to be some going action, my friend. That sounds hot. Ooh, 
I'm gonna go back in time. Let me tell you. That's a that's a tier five. I'm gonna be out of time. Let me oh, tell you. Oh Jesus Christ! It's gonna be a time to remember. You're let gonna me see tell some you. serious shit. I'm sorry, I don't get that. So with that being said, <laughs> next week we'll talk about a matter of life and death, and also the Powell and Pressburger film called A Matter of Life and Death, which is a matter of life and death that we watch. Yes. Uh, but until then, I just have to say to you, Jason. God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason.